Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Financial. I'm also the author of The New ROI, Return on Individuals. And welcome to the program where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, we're going to be having a conversation that's sort of at the intersection between investing and social justice. And I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Eleni Janis, who is the managing partner and chief investment officer at Equivico. Eleni, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hello, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Why don't you tell the uh, audience who you are, and then we'll jump into a really good conversation. Absolutely. I'm an entrepreneur at heart and uh, experience and a fund manager. My focus is on generating competitive returns and social impact. I've been in ESG, environmental, social governance, investing, both from on the government and the private sector side for almost a decade and passionate about the opportunity to advance the economy in different ways. Yeah, so I want to start the episode here, Eleni, by having you tell the audience your why. Um, when you're involved in social investing, ESG, there's a, there's a bigger story here, and I want to set the table for the rest of the conversation by you explaining what inspires you and, and how did you decide to move forward with founding Equivoco? I have my, my career is rotated both in government, the private sector, and, and research, focused uh, for the past almost 20 years on economic development and inclusive economic policies. Um, so the, through that experience, which included both working and running market research, focused on public policy issues, then investing on behalf of government uh, whether that is investing in tech or emerging uh, or emerging small businesses, small manufacturers or real estate or real estate developers, my focus has always been on where are there gaps in the market, in or systemic gaps, including in policy, and how can we fill the gaps to generate more opportunity, and and I see opportunity for financial returns for more GDP and opportunity attached to the opportunity, to more opportunity for people. Ultimately, there are groups of our, there's many groups of our, of our, of our country, whether that is lower income communities or, or women or types of businesses, such as small businesses in the United States that don't produce the big numbers that we see, you know, every day on, on TV who are left behind, who don't have access to opportunity to fulfill their full potential, as you, as you say, return on individuals. So I'm very passionate about the opportunity that we can find there. And I have seen it also work time and again, how when you provide a business access to quality debt, it can grow the same way that big companies grow. And that's where my passion lays. It lays in the data that I've seen for years, in a deep understanding of the system, and then innovation. Um, I've, everything I've done, I think, in my career, it has been uh, at the, has been focused on creating a new solution and investing, creating new investing solutions has been my focus for the last eight, nine years, and have been fortunate to work with people who have a lot of experience, perhaps in financial structuring, and we can bring together my understanding of systems and where and business with financial with innovation in finance and financial structuring to create more opportunities and new opportunities for investing. Yeah, so let's talk about where do small businesses typically have access to, to capital. Uh, in my mind, I'm thinking a lot of it probably is on 
credit cards. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Small businesses uh, where they get uh, where they fill cash flow gaps is using credit cards, business credit cards, and even personal credit cards. So here we're talking, you know, at least at about twenty five percent interest rate, and putting your own, you know, livelihood at risk when you use uh, credit cards. Seventy percent of demand for small commercial loans goes unmet in the U.S. And these are loans that are $250,000 or below. Um, and this is what uh, small businesses need. And when we talk about small businesses, these are the type of businesses that we think about. Actually, a small broadcast studio is a small business. Or it could be the restaurant at the corner, a small architecture shop, or a design shop. These are small businesses that have less than 100 employees. Often, really, we're talking about less than 50 or even 30 employees. But they are critical to our economy. They create one out of three private sector jobs in the U.S. However, the financial system is not serving them. In the last 20 years, small commercial loans from the traditional banking institutions, the volume of that has reduced drastically for a range of reasons, especially after the oil crisis, which leaves those businesses with no solution. The solution is either very high cost at credit, so credit cards, they also use merchant, merchant cash advance, another credit solution that's extremely expensive. We're talking about a cost of 50 to 100 percent on your on the on the on the debt and so what we are focused on here is bringing back uh, bringing back uh, access to credit access to a good quality loan a good quality credit line for small businesses because we know that you know if you get this big contract as, as a small business you don't get paid up front no one gets paid up front right but somehow you need to find the cash flow, to hire an extra person, to buy maybe a piece of equipment, increase your resources a bit so that you can get a bigger contract and grow. And that's what we're focused on. And yeah. it's uh, just such a big social and economic issue. Yeah, and that's a great segue for us to, to start to unpack your solution. How are you changing that landscape for these small business owners? Absolutely. Uh, we've seen, so we work, uh, we are the intersection of community, technology, and capital. We uh, see, we've seen what's happened in the market, in the, in the small business lending market in the past decade. So one is the decrease, even further decrease of traditional, traditional loans from banks. Uh, on the other side, it's actually the rise of online lending and tech-driven lending which presents a lot of opportunity. So we've seen FinTech rise, you know this very well, FinTech rise, consumer lending online rise, including also and small business lending. So where we play is where what we want to do is bring new sources of capital to existing or rising tech-driven lenders and empower them we bring more affordable capital to them. So, and for one, and second, give them direction and, and influence uh, underwriting policies so that we see more diversity and inclusion in lending. And that is our solution. Again, we are focused on, so we're sitting in the middle between capital and lenders who are seeking for that affordable capital. And I did say tech-driven lenders, so online is very important. And online lending is very important, but we also work with community lenders, community uh, CDFIs, community development financial institutions, 
who have been the heroes on the ground for you know, the last 30 years, making small business loans. But those are not that many. We have some in the country, uh, but the scale is limited compared to the demand. The demand is considered to be at about $87 billion of unmet demand for small commercial loans. So we work with lenders uh, to bring that capital. We also educate investors, new investors to come in and join us, uh, not new investors, but rather showing investors a new strategy and giving them access to an asset that they don't really have access to, small commercial loans, an asset that we know it can perform well. Um, and, um, and, and third, an asset that produces true you know, job creation, economic inclusion really helps your community. Yeah, I mean, if anybody is watching and listening, they're, they're getting the vibe here that it, it's all about doing well by doing good. Uh, love it. So obviously working with the right lenders that are on board with the mission uh, is, is really important here with your objectives. How do you go about vetting these lenders besides you know, their desire to lend capital? But I, I know with, with you and what you're doing, there's more to the story than just them having uh, deep pockets, so to speak. So how do you vet them? Absolutely, yes. And the lenders that work with us, uh, they, they work with us for more than the capital that we bring to the table. And, you know, uh, the, there is obviously research that we have done and we continue to do on the industry, watching and following the lenders, new lenders that are coming up, online lenders, CDFIs. We do have very deep, a very deep network um, that runs uh, across the country, both on the online lending side and community development financial institutions. The, on what comes down to it outside of besides identifying the lenders, we do very thorough due diligence on the lenders, both with respect to the corporate organization, so the feasibility of the company, on a high level, the practices of the lender. We want to work with companies that are mission aligned as much as possible, certainly where their priority is to provide a good product to small businesses that can get paid back, that can get paid back, um, and where the borrower can continue to come back and grow. We are not interested in lenders that whose goal is to grow very quickly without um, without solid underwriting, right? Where we know that the, that portfolio will, will perform well in the long run. In the long run, and um, so that's one thing. Second, uh, an important criteria for us is the openness of the lender to hear about our intelligence and expertise in fair lending. And, and inclusive underwriting practices. Certainly, especially for online lenders who are somewhat new to this industry um, and, and, and trying to grow and identify how to best underwrite, there are considerations that uh, have to be taken, that there are considerations that they need to, um, that they need to account for. Specifically, what are the questions that they ask when they underwrite the loan? Online lending especially is driven by the use of alternative data and, and the more really data that the, the more quality and the more volume of data that a lender can use, I mean relevant data, the better it is. So for example, uh, online lenders, uh, tech driven lenders will use bank statements, the last six months of bank statements of a business where they analyze cash flow and that creates more information 
about the loan and the, the, and the possibility that the business will pay back the loan. It gives offers more data than uh, perhaps a lender's credit score, which is unfortunately what uh, is often what is often a driver of the credit analysis of the borrower. So when we work with uh, when we work with lenders, definitely as I said, one is alignment, a mission alignment. To some extent, we want to work with socially responsible. Um, uh, companies that have a good solid reputation both within their employees and externally with their borrowers. And the third and the second is that they are open to our discussions and our demands for that matter for fair lending. Uh, we take a very close look at, the, at those underwriting practices and we look for things like implicit bias in underwriting. I myself uh, have uh, actually many years of uh, research and work, scientific research, in implicit and explicit bias, how we think, uh, how we may have a bias about based on the color uh, of the race of someone, perhaps we draw implicitly conclusions about whether they can pay the loan back or whether they're a good business person. Uh, I'm personally trained in this. My partner at Equivico, the National Community Investment Coalition, which is a large um, community, community development coalition nationally. And they, they, for 30 years, they have uh, focused on legislation that promotes fair lending and other inclusive economic development policies. So we understand this very well, and we bring that expertise to lenders, and some already are very, you know, they are already uh, very aware of all of these others, not necessarily. So we work with them to ensure that any loans that we finance uh, meet those uh, inclusive targets for inclusion and diversity and exclude any bias from the process. Yeah, lots of factors to be considered there and mm -hmm. giving consideration to the inherent risks in small business. Uh, on that note, we're going to hit the pause button here. Eleni, don't go anywhere. You watching and listening, stay put. We'll be right back after we pay a few bills here on Behind the Numbers. Hello, I'm Dr. Dale Caldwell, host of Family Business World. There are more than 5 million family businesses accounting for 60% of the jobs in the United States, yet most people overlook the contributions these businesses make to local communities. This entertaining show celebrates amazing family businesses while exploring the extraordinary hurdles they've overcome to achieve success. Please join me on this fun and fascinating journey through the incredible world of family businesses every Thursday at 10 a.m. and 8 p.m. I guarantee you'll fall in love with each of the family businesses on the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Meg Hannington. And I'm Jambia Fair, and we are the co-hosts of Get Real, where we invite independent financial advisors and industry leaders to share their experiences about how they have built successful financial practices. Please join us Wednesday mornings at 10.30 and Thursdays at noon right here on RVN TV. Learn how you can build your ideal business by focusing on eight foundational elements to optimize growth, establish more enduring client relationships, and building your brand and culture that's driven by your values. when it comes to relationships. I'm Dr. Donna Marie, and this is Grace and Space. We're talking the highs, the lows, and everything in between when it comes to life and love and relationships. 
Join me here, Grace and Space, on RVN, the Compassion Healing Network. We'll see you soon. Hi, my name is Rebecca Berger. I have a new TV show here on RVN TV called Justice for All, airing Thursdays and Friday nights at 7 p.m. We're going to be hearing from attorneys from the surrounding area here, not only about their journey, but also hear tips and tricks and advice, hopefully, that will help you find your path to justice. Again, look forward to seeing you on Thursdays and Friday nights at 7 p.m. here on RVN TV. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about responsible lending for small business with Eleni Janis, who's the managing partner and chief investment officer at Equivoco. Uh, Eleni, welcome back. Uh, great conversation in that first segment. Uh, your mission-driven ESG, social responsibility. So there's a there's a bigger picture here to what you're doing. Let's talk about what impact that has had on the communities that you serve and the entrepreneurs. Uh, that are being impacted by this. Absolutely, the uh, small business entrepreneurship and small business lending, or rather, I'm sorry, entrepreneurship and small business ownership is the greatest predictor of economic mobility for people who are born into low and into lower income uh, families and communities. So, the ability to own your own business along with actually owning a home, will predict whether you can you know, live the American dream, so to speak, right? Rise to the middle class, be able to food, put, uh, put food at the table and do more than that, right? Support your children, perhaps, to go to college. Uh, the impact on communities is, um, is economic inclusion and mobility, so strengthening the middle class and growing the middle class and strengthening it. And in, and in making sure that we include in that people of color, African Americans, Hispanics, Asian Americans, people of color, women, uh, veterans. These are groups that, along with every small business that suffers in the country with respect to finance, because every very small business does face the same problem, these groups of people of color, women, veterans, they face implicit, often, or explicit or unintentional, perhaps, discrimination in the system. NCRC, the National Community Investment Coalition, has run uh, for several years mystery shopper studies that shows that when a woman or a black or a Hispanic person goes into a bank to ask for a loan, that they are treated different. Hmm. Maybe they're asked different questions, or the banker doesn't offer their business card and encourages follow-up. In one or the other way, there is less encouragement to apply for a loan and pursue it without even knowing actually much about the business. And this data is not much different, not at all for that matter, than what we see in the venture capital world. Um, there are a few studies on this, but Harvard Business Review published a study a few years ago how a woman, uh, when a woman pitches a VC, is asked very data-driven questions about their business, about her business, while when a man pitches a VC, 
uh, is asked questions about the vision and the market opportunity. Um, and, and and of course, we know the consequence of that and the social network, which is just a slim, um, a, a very, very a small portion of VC funding goes to women and, and even less in people on people of color. So which brings back what is the impact on the community. We want to see communities that uh, that are growing, that there is a stronger, more economic mobility, more um, a stronger middle class. And how we do it, and we hope to do it, is that through these business loans, we help create new jobs, we help sustain jobs in communities. More Black, African American, Hispanic um, women uh, have access to loans and and access to loans that are affordable. So the third is that the, those loans must be affordable. Right? We're not talking about loans about the interest rates of 30%, 40 50%. Um, and this is just, uh, this is, uh, this is a, a, a good picture on how we impact communities. And at the end of the day, we want to see, you know, people when you walk down the street, whether it is to buy coffee or, um, or you look online to find a designer for your house or a good painting company, that you will be finding a small business. So, you know, someone who is paying, who's hiring five people in the neighborhood or 10 locally, and, and through them, uh, uh, and through hiring their services, you can support their families and their livelihood. Yeah, good stuff. When the pandemic started to uh, come upon us in the early days and then in the subsequent days that followed, uh, we all witnessed the closures of small businesses in, in our local towns and uh, a lot of cries to action to, um, to help support these small businesses. Are, have you seen any kind of direct impact on your programs and maybe having some of these businesses that you're working with survive, or maybe they otherwise wouldn't have during these tough times? Yes, certainly. I mean, small businesses have suffered, uh, have, have suffered greatly through the pandemic and the volatility of the situation of measures in some industries more than others. There have been actually certain industries that have seen an uptake on demand. And definitely they saw an update on demand for the first, after the first few months, but for a year, a year and a half. So there have been also positive outcomes, uh, which are not to be ignored because whether maybe you're in the cleaning services uh, industry or construction and uh, or construction businesses that have uh, industries that have uh, um, that have boomed during the pandemic for those very small businesses. And um, so there are positive outcomes and absolutely there's been a lot of disruption. We have been very fortunate to work with the Stavros Nyakos Foundation, an international large private philanthropy based headquartered in New York. During the pandemic, they gave us the opportunity to deploy in the form of grants, non-repayable grants, uh, $1.3 million to small businesses across the country. So we made a $20,000 grant to businesses across the country, and we encouraged them to think about pivoting or growth. We didn't think that the capital we have is sufficient to help a business pay back bills. The government was doing that to some extent. And um, so we worked with small businesses, both for some financial support, but also now we're putting them through a mentorship program, a transformative mentorship program to help them think about their business um, more creatively during a moment of crisis and, and ultimately also give them a boost of confidence. And, and that's um, the key takeaway and perhaps the most uh, 
the most soft and uh, hard to measure outcome of our work uh, offering these grants was the boosted confidence that small businesses got. And we hope more of that they will also get through this uh, training that we are providing from them. Yeah, Eleni, for folks watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you, have a conversation, how can they reach out to you? They can reach out to me at my email, um, Eleni, E-L-E-N-I, at equivico.com, or they can go on our website, equivico, E-Q-U-I-V-I-C-O.com, and reach, um, reach out through, through the website. Yep, they can also find you on LinkedIn as well. So, Elena, we, we only have a few minutes to go here in the program, but I wanted to give you an opportunity, given your mission and social justice investing, uh, to hand you a metaphorical soapbox and megaphone. And I'm going to ask you, what's the call to action to the folks who are watching and listening? And you've got a worldwide audience tuned in here, so what do you want them to take away? Thank you for that opportunity. I, uh, take away uh, the ability to think differently. I think we all, you know, question for me, my, the driver in my life as an immigrant included has been uh, my unwavering passion to question mostly everything that I see around me. Not to question it because I want to necessarily change it, but even to understand the value of it. Question the success, right? I don't want to undo success. I want to understand it. So that, I think, that's first and foremost, like don't take anything for granted. With respect to environmental, social, governance investing, or actually these values brought to the corporation, I don't, this is a trend that is here to stay because there is, it's not, it's not a bubble. It's not, um, it's not a short leave interest that is, some people may think that is forced upon corporations or investors because of the current social and economic situation. It is the only solution forward. Economic inequality and poverty is increasing across the world, especially across developed nations which is what is causing a lot of the political upheaval. People work to jobs and they can't put enough food on the table. And that is absolutely not okay. This is not how our world should work. And it also shows that there is opportunity to actually, there's opportunity to create more returns. If you're looking for a commercial, you know, you're looking for a new market. Like typically you find opportunities where other people don't. And, and I think that ESG investing or changing how the supply chain works in a corporation, small changes one at a time, does unveil, reveal new opportunities. Um, because other people aren't looking there, are not looking, you know, aren't looking for those. So I think ESG is here to stay. Um, there are sure there will be good and bad things happening. I mean, there will be genuine investing. Um, and not genuine investing. This is how every you know, every new market grows. Uh, with the good, grows also the bad, but I'm not worried about that. I think as long as we continue to have an open conversation, we um, this industry will grow. It's destined to grow, so I think it's best to get on the wagon as uh, quickly as we can to both be successful in business, but also successful as a society. That's a great message. Eleni, thank you for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you very much, David. And I may next time, maybe I can ask you a question about valuation for small businesses. Perhaps to, we'll ask you to volunteer and help our small businesses. Happy to have that conversation anytime you'd like. You know how to reach me. And uh, I want to thank you. We've been talking with Eleni Janis, who's the managing partner and chief investment officer at Equivico. 
And again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the person that my clients talk to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. So like Elaney said, if you've got a business and you're looking to have a conversation about valuation, feel free to reach out. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And I want to thank you all for watching and listening. Can't do this program without you. Please hit the subscribe button wherever you're watching or listening right now. And we will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care, everybody.